You decide to go to college and to play a sport. And when you get there, it goes really well. So well, in fact, that only a couple years later, you're at the Olympics. And not only at the Olympics, you're in the Olympics, like racing shoulder to shoulder with some of the marquee players in your sport. That's Sophia Luckley's story in a nutshell. But there's so much more to it. Endurance sport ability is largely hidden to the naked eye, at least in comparison to other sports where athletic talent might be more palpable. For example, when people go out for a jog together, you really can't tell who would be the best of them in a race of three miles or, or maybe five miles or 10 miles or 26 miles. On a soccer pitch or a basketball court, by comparison, you can see relatively easily who is the better player. So when endurance sports struggle in a nation's culture like they do in ours, the threshold of kids even finding their endurance sport talents can be hard to cross, culturally speaking. Take the curious case of teenager Sammy Smith this winter. She essentially personifies the age-old question that many of us in the sport have had of basically how many kids capable of beating Mark Bjergen in skiing are sitting on the benches of a basketball team somewhere, or in Sammy's case, absolutely crushing it on a high school soccer pitch somewhere. Sometimes the sport, meaning our sport, just lucks out. Today's guest on Threshold is one such case. This episode of Threshold is brought to you by Solomon. Solomon has committed to a responsible tomorrow by refocusing the entire company and its operations to create responsible products with a smaller footprint on the environment. Solomon's goal is to drive change within our communities by creating more inclusive outdoor experiences. At the same time, they are committed to conducting their business responsibly while delivering high-performing products with the most innovative designs. You can enjoy winter knowing that Solomon is taking steps to preserve that winter for you to enjoy. When we all act responsibly, tomorrow is yours. Check out Solomon's full line of skis, boots, clothing, and accessories at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. As we've discussed on Threshold, it takes an entire ecosystem of support to grow and cultivate endurance sports in American culture. But as media evolves, it's never been more possible to fill your cup with rich content about the sports you love. And that's kind of where we come in. It's our goal to stoke that growth with meaningful conversations and insights with folks with diverse experiences and expertise, like Dr. Steven Seiler or Courtney Del Walter and Olympic star Jesse Diggins. But to do it, we need your support. So we've created a Patreon that's linked in the description of this episode. By joining, you'll have access to ad-free episodes, our full archive of conversations, and even some sweet merch. So please join us on Patreon. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the episode. While her parents were both NCAA ski racers, and her dad is even Norwegian, Sophia Laukley didn't just default to the top of American ski racing. She was a good athlete in both skiing and running in high school, but was more into soccer at the time. But a commitment to ski racing in college led to a rapid rise in her results, thrusting her in short order to the top tier of women's ski racing in the United States and to the Olympics in 2022, where she debuted in 15th place in one of the most brutal races in Olympic history, the women's 30 kilometer in Beijing. She has also seen a rapid rise in competitive mountain running in the last couple of summers and is a bit of an enigma at the moment in that sport. As one of the most compelling younger athletes in American ski racing, we caught up with Sophia Laukley earlier this spring in Bend, Oregon, where she was at an on-snow camp with the U.S. ski team in the middle of preparing for a summer of competitive professional mountain running. Sophia, welcome to Threshold. Thank you so much. <laughs> cool. It's really exciting to be. So you're in Bend. Uh, before we get started, I mean, Bend is awesome. Uh, yeah. It's June. You know, I'm not sure when we're going to we're going to air this. We might air it in a month or so, but still. Okay. I, I just wanted to. I just want to. So how is Bend right now? Is it is the snow good? Yeah, I mean, I literally just got here yesterday, and so today was my first day skiing, and yeah, I mean, I think I wasn't surprised that the snow was going to be good this year, because it's out west has just been insane, yeah. Um, but yeah, so far, really awesome skiing, it was really sunny today, so I'm pretty stoked on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that first day of, the first day of Bend Camp is kind of fun, too, it's, it's the yeah. new year, it's, it's great weather, it's usually nice in town, and, and snow's great up, up top, right. so are, you know, are the fields just awesome right now with the team? Yeah, I think everyone's like, it's Ben Camp is like, I this is my third year now, and yeah. it's like the vibes are always just like everyone is super stoked, and I think like yeah, it's everyone's like, oh no, I don't want to start training quite yet, but like to start with Ben is pretty easy um, to get back into training just because like 
you're just having fun and then there's no stress of like competition and so it's a lot of like socializing and then having fun skiing every yeah. day so yeah <laughs> well it sticks with you because i was thinking about it today because i was supposed to talk with zach ketterson okay. on, an, on another on another on another project side uh-huh. project of mine <laughs> but i was supposed to talk to him today and we were going to try to get together today but it didn't work but okay. i was thinking about it i was like man it doesn't seem like that long ago that i was in bend and i'm trying to remember i thought i was around when liz steven was still young and okay. was racing and i thought but i can't put my finger i mean i'm 51 now so it's been a while but it feels like i've been i was at ben camp just yesterday yeah and and the only date that i can really put my finger on is 1998 was the last time i was there it's like (laughs) zach wasn't even born yet yeah that was that was was cracking me up i was like that's awesome i'm gonna call call a guy when i have these vivid fond memories of ben camp just a couple Mm -hmm. years ago before he was born (laughs) no that's hilarious yeah, it's great. So I mean, I just love it. So I had to start with that. But yeah, let's, let's get down and let's get let's get uh, talking about you. For sure. So you grew up in Yarmouth, Maine, which is kind of a suburb of Portland. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I I literally just put together while okay. I was messing up our <laughs> messing up our introduction to each other yeah. technically. But you are you are the third guest from on Threshold Podcast with Chad Salmola in in two and a half seasons. So we're in our third uh-huh. season now. You're the third guest from the Portland area, which okay. makes. Portland, the most represented town or location that I've done a podcast for for people. So Ben True wow. was the first. Ben True okay. was the first. Yep. Claire Egan was on this winter, and now right. you. So I, I wow. gotta ask you what <laughs> what uh, what is it about Portland that is, no, yeah. is producing great athletes? That's a that's a crazy stat because yeah, like I mean, it's a bummer because now that I don't live in Maine, I like have such an appreciation for it. But like, yeah. For both of my sports, running and skiing, it's just, like, not really the place to go home to. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think it's super cool that, like, once in a while, like, athletes do come from the Portland area. And, like, yeah, like, skiing at Yarmouth High School was, like, huge. That was, like, the sport to do at the, at the school, and which has definitely, like, helped me, like, pursue it further. But I think, I don't yeah, it's a really good question because it is... It, it, like I get really psyched when you hear that other like athletes that have made it are from the yeah. like, southern Maine southern because it's like it doesn't totally like add up I guess um, just based it, off of like yeah <laughs> yeah and all three of you so the, and the other thing is all three of you are great runners like you're you're kind of like you're straddling skiing and, and yeah. mountain running now and, and Ben was Ben you know had to had to choose between the two sports and mm-hmm. Claire was actually she didn't ski in college she ran right. in college yeah so I mean so the, the question I have is 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 there an is there a strong endurance sport culture I mean I, I don't really know I mean I know Roger Knight really well from, from right. BNS East. <laughs> yeah awesome and, but I, I don't re- and James Upham was li- lived around there but like mm-hmm. I don't really know like I don't have a really good sense of what what Yarmouth and and, and Portland area is like in distance running and in skiing like what's the culture like there like, yeah like I mean up? it's interesting like on when I lived in in Maine I was not into running at all because like I like almost like I did everything I could not to run because I like didn't really enjoy it was just like a lot of road riding I guess and like not crazy cool trails which is like what I'm doing now um and so I think but like at the same time like just because I didn't personally like it there was like definitely a big scene of running and like skiing and I think it is like weird because like it's just like a coastal city um Mm -hmm. and so there's also like a lot of like water sport actions too but i think yeah yeah it is honestly pretty interesting to me that a lot of like runners come from that area um so yeah is it is it is it really competitive i mean did you did you run in high school i played soccer um and then my senior year i like kind of ran cross country okay. i like raced i did the races so that we could win states um yeah, yeah. cool <laughs> but yeah like it was really new to me. Like I started training at West for skiing and that's mm-hmm. like when I was like, Oh, running is kind of cool. Um, yeah. So yeah. So you dropped, you dropped a very subtle little bomb there and I want to back that up. Yeah. You said you ran <laughs> so you could win States. So I'm assuming that you, not me personally, yeah. And yeah, I guess like for all of my ski training, all of like my soccer, like when we did do running intervals or something like, 
I always was pretty good at it. And like, Mm -hmm. I actually like, I said I didn't like running, but I always liked the like running parts of my training. Um, It was just like the competing part that was like, um, like felt not for me. Um, But like, yeah, I guess like the running coach was like, you should run for us so that we can win state. So Okay. I guess part of me, I guess part of me did like running, but not as much as I do now, I guess. <laughs> so, so you ran fast enough that the coach at the high school knew that if they put you on the team, you had a better shot of winning state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sums it up. <laughs> so, so, so what did you, what did you run 5k? Did you run 5k in high school? Yeah. Do you Man. remember what you ran for a time? It wasn't fast. I think it was like 18, somewhere in the 18, like thirties, maybe. That's not slow. <laughs> I don't know. I see every, I see like all these stats that are like fifteen, whatever, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, yeah. that's so, a <laughs> lot." Well, yeah, I mean, me. Caitlin Tui just ran fifteen oh three on the track yeah. in, co- in college. Yeah. Except the D, <laughs> D- D- one. So 18, 18 and a half is pretty solid. Okay, all right, I'll take it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that gives me a little bit of sense of. I mean, so so there was a sign that you had probably some of the athletic capacity for endurance sport, even though you were playing soccer, like like people in the community knew, like your high school coach knew that you could run. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to establish because (laughs) I mean, my daughter's way into soccer and just trying track and field right now. So I'm like, it gives me some hope. Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like soccer. (laughs) So, um, I know both. I, I know your dad. I, I don't know your parents. They're okay. they're about the same age. I think we were. I mean, I was doing biathlon more, but like, okay. I think your dad skied for CU. Yeah, they both did actually. They both did. Okay. Yeah. So so how did how did their lives influence your life? As as I like, mean, skiers? yeah, because they were skiers. Like I ended up starting to ski when I was like two. Um, mm-hmm. They put skis on me and like all my siblings, and we did a lot of skiing growing up and. My dad's from Norway, and so mm-hmm. we, like, would probably go there once a year and uh, would always, obviously, ski over there. But, like, it wasn't – it was more like a – it was a very recreational thing for a while um, until, like, middle school. My They had a ski team, and so I kind of started to compete there. But, yeah, like, they were, they were the reason. Like, I probably would not have picked it up um, otherwise because, like, I originally – like, I lived – for the first first few years in Boston and then moved to Maine. Um, and like, yeah, even though like skiing is kind of a thing, it's not like the sport to do. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely had a big influence on that. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about your development. Like when you were a kid, was there like a moment you remember when you kind of consciously realized that you might want to be an Olympic level athlete? No, I mean, this is like something I've thought about a lot because when I went to the olympics last year i was like thinking about four years prior like watching in pyeongchang and i when i was watching then no part of me was like all right in four years i'm gonna be there like i'm gonna be racing world like i i really like i like i think i like purposely didn't set like long-term goals and i was like right now i want to i know i want to ski in college and that's that and then like it escalated pretty quickly, but like it wasn't like a childhood dream to be an Olympian, I guess. Like, and I know it is for a lot of people, but for me, I was just like, "Cool, I want to win Maine high school states or something." I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 thanks for setting me up there because that was kind of what I was perceiving, but I didn't want to like, I didn't want to stick my foot in my mouth or like, yeah, yeah. I think you did because. I'm a Middlebury graduate, I, I, you okay. know, so I, I don't I don't follow Middlebury very closely. I mean, Andrew mm-hmm. Johnson and, and and his wife, they're both good friends of mine. But yeah. um, you know, I'm not talking to them every day. I talk to them every now and then. Okay. But, yeah. So, but I noticed when like I noticed there was a Middlebury. This girl from Middlebury was ripping uh-huh. it. Like <laughs> your, your your first couple of years there, and I I had never. I mean, no offense, but I'd never really heard of you, and, and it felt like yeah, no one had. <laughs> you really improved very quickly at Middlebury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about that. What, what were some of the critical things that, that you think led to that? No, totally. And I think like by far my biggest jump in my career was like my freshman year at Middlebury and like definitely thanks to AJ. And I think a, one of the other like big parts of that is like f- actually having a team um, in high school. I had like, I just went to like Yarmouth High and we had 
a ski team, but it was like no training beyond like the January and February. Um, and so like I was kind of grinding roller skiing in the fall on my own and like, yeah, I was just, and I didn't mind it. Like I definitely like had no problem like motivating to go out and train on my own, but it was definitely when I was finally put into like a very, like a team that everyone had, like was on the same motivation level and like pushing each other that in combination with like having a really hands-on like and professional coach for the, like that just really put me uh, on the next level, I think. So it was really just, it was just a matter of doing it more and, and having I think more so. guidance. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Nothing against your high school or anything, but it's like, no, exactly. It's just like, when yeah. you go to a, like, I had a phenomenal high school coach. Like, I, he's better, like, he's such a, everyone knows him in the main scene. He, like, totally made, because, like, honestly, when I was transitioning into, from middle school to high school, I wasn't sure if I wanted to ski, but then just thought, like, okay, I'll just try it freshman year. And then, like, he definitely had, like, the influence where I found that I really loved skiing and then I wanted to keep doing it after high school um so yeah it was like he provided something different than what what like college skiing did so with the rapid rise in performance um how did how did you like react to that like was that were you did you get a pretty good jones from it or oh yeah i was psyched i was like and i think i was especially psyched on like the whole dark horse aspect of it because like it's really fun to be a nobody and then all of a sudden everyone's like who who is this girl and yeah i was like definitely a bit like on a high my first year and i was like damn now like i do have a bit of a name and i can't really play that card anymore um and so like transitioning from like just trying to like impress to like now having expectations was definitely like an interesting transition um yeah so do you think that being a dark horse kind of helped uh helped 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 you I a think bit? so yeah it was yeah. like nothing to lose like and yeah. everything to gain like that yeah. whatever saying is um but yeah I mean I, uh, yeah <laughs> I'm with you I mean I, I've always I think I've always chosen dark horse jobs like I, I yeah don't, I don't I, I don't ever I've never really aspired to be at the top of anything like I, I've always liked to come from below mm-hmm. and try to surprise people oh it's know? so much so yeah. much more fun yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then if you don't if you don't well then nobody no one was cares. expecting you to yeah. Yeah, no, nobody knew <laughs> yeah. in the first place cool. right I really like tying podcasts the, 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 the themes from these podcasts between episodes when I can and there's several that uniquely bring to this podcast the, the running skiing thing was one and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, a, a little a little later mm-hmm. i think that's really where i think this will be somewhat unique to some of the other people we've had and mm-hmm. the other the other is a discussion on ncaa skiing and developing american skiers yeah um so for decades and you probably weren't weren't even aware of this but in high school but there have been impassioned stances for and against developmental efficacy of the country's top talent in skiing and ncaa mm-hmm. skiing and i just want to say to preface this that and for our listeners that i i built a uh, from scratch uh, and coached an NCAA ski program for a decade. Mm-hmm. And I was on the NCAA ski committee for four years. I threw all that. I did all that stuff. And I am not planted rigidly on this topic. Like, I'm not like, you got to go to skiing college. Or I'm not like, you absolutely shouldn't ski in college. I'm kind of yeah. somewhere in the middle. Um, but, I, you know, I've seen the NCAA skiing from the development angle as well as from the coach's angle. And, and I also graduated from Middlebury, which is a D3 program. We know mm-hmm. there's no scholarships involved. Right. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we don't get any real sore spots here, but I just want to start with the point that you really emerged as an elite skier while in college. And it wasn't like you were being told not to ski in college before you went to college. Mm-hmm. So you started at Middlebury and then transferred to Utah as you progressed. Can you, can you start by just explaining where you were competitively when you, you know, when you made that decision from, to go to Middlebury from Middlebury to Utah and the transfer and why you transferred. Yeah. Yeah, Like I honestly like was pretty surprised that I like ended up making that. Like I was, yeah, I made that decision like so last minute right before I started my junior year. And I was like, wow, I actually cannot believe I just did that. But like, I think the biggest reason for me was like, like, the the aspect or like just the fact that Middlebury is like D3 and very academic centric which is like why I chose to go there 
Mm -hmm. because when I was leaving high school, like that was my priority. Like I really wanted to ski, but like it, it was, I wasn't at a level where I was like, skiing's going to be my priority because like I'm racing internationally, whatever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, after like my second year at Middlebury and, and part of it was like, I started college essentially during, or like right before COVID and it was, it definitely like impacted the training and skiing piece at Middlebury, I think more than some of the other schools. And I think that definitely probably played a role in my, like how I was thinking about things. But I think like the biggest thing was I was now racing. I was traveling so much and like, I did want to put skiing first, but I definitely wanted to still, um, like get a degree in like I didn't want to take a really long time to do it and so a lot of it was like definitely a lot to do with like logistics I knew that at a place like Utah I could kind of have everything um and it was just like becoming too much of like not figuring out how to balance it at Middlebury and I think yeah I think another thing was like I was training with a lot of like US team members during the Mm -hmm. summer and I was like realizing how like I mean it was almost like a repeat of high school where like I was psyched to train with these girls and then I was like moving a little bit to like a more like dead or like a more committed level and then I felt like I was kind of when I was at Middlebury again I was first year was awesome because I had all these Mm -hmm. girls to like push me and then I felt like I was then lacking that and then that when I was training with a lot of like like Novi, Sydney, Jesse and all them I was like okay this is what I need and so that also is kind of what pushed me um to want to go to Utah and and I think the U.S. I mean the U.S. ski teams I think their their rise and success in the last 15 years just historically speaking I think that they really feed off of the teammate situation right raising yeah. level and, yeah. and, and so I so I get that I, I can see that did you have did you feel any pressure from any uh, any different angles from, from did you feel pressure to stay at Middlebury did you feel pressure from Utah did you feel pressure from the US ski team to choose one or the other or, or any, any along any of those yeah. lines yeah I think like there was no external pressure I think I personally was like ski the ski community is like tiny I cannot leave Middlebury like I should just like stay like I do like the school and like have a lot of like friends and good people there and like but then uh I just yeah I had a summer of just like epiphanies I guess and I was like yeah I, I have to go to Utah um, and I like, I don't regret that decision at all. I know that was the right call and I'm, I'm really psyched I did it. Um, and I'm also really psyched that I did do two years at Middlebury. Um, yeah. I don't think those were like a mistake either. No. Um, yeah. Cool. I did yeah. two years there too. That's all I, that's all I could handle. Okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I transferred in after 10 years of ski racing. So yeah, cool. Nice. Um, so I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. So you wrote your, you rise pretty rapidly onto the world cup stage and, and it's not like you land on the world cup stage and fall flat on your face either. You do, you have some good results. Like you, you have results that like tell you, you belong there. Um, uh, and do you remember a moment in the first year or two on the world cup where you, where you, where it stuck with you? Like, yeah, this is, this is where I should be. I think I'm still like waiting for that moment. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't not, know. Not, like, not even Delchermesis here. No, you're right. That was like. Yeah. But then it's like you get such a high from that, and then like, right. it's hard to just not, like, move your expectations up. I guess, and so it's like you have one really good result. It's like, oh sweet. So now this is kind of like my standard. Obviously, I was yeah. not thinking that a podium every race is going to be my standard, but like, right. to get like. 50th the next week and it's like oh man this is definitely pretty exhausting <laughs> like <laughs> and like no it's not that I don't feel like I belong it's just like I think after having like that crazy jump my first two years of college yeah and like I people were like just so you know this is not going to be happening every year yeah. you're not going to have <laughs> like these catapults of seasons and right. so I think now I'm just like in a bit more of a reality like it takes 
time to like like now that you are racing at the highest level like there are a handful of Norwegians and Swedes or whatever who are going to be top five when they're first year um but yeah I think like I'm definitely pretty excited for next year like I'll be full-time ideally um world cup and so yeah like I like I was very like it's very conflicting to me because it's like super nice it's been super nice to have like NCAA and and world cup because what it's like I'm getting too like beat down on World Cup. It's like okay, well, that's at least I got like college skiing to like. It's so fun. It's like yeah. guaranteed fun and like guaranteed like a confidence booster. And then right, yeah. And so next year I'm like, I'm excited to not have to like balance and like juggle the two. But right, right. I don't really have anything to fall back on either. <laughs> if, like if I'm on yeah. like week eight and I just am kind of grinding the same results over and over again. But yeah that's how like that's just like a step that is we all have to take um so, yeah. well i think your perspective really shows like where you are and the u.s ski team is i think that mm-hmm. gives you you know like the, the results you're having just so you know like from generations past would be spectacular results so so and i want to talk a little bit about that like you had you had a really impressive olympic debut coming off a top five at alp Termise last year and then at the, at the 22 uh, tour to ski and that stage is considered pretty brutal but the 30k at the olympics in beijing was per- oh God, perhaps yeah. the most brutal ski races in, in in anybody's memory oh yeah and you and you had an amazing day um what is it about the brutal days that make you stand out what does it say about who sophia luckily is that you're good on the brutal days yeah i this is yeah I, it is funny to me because like i i like kind of hate the races that are like perfect winter conditions i like mm-hmm. when it's like like in ruka i have a hard time because it's just like like the winteriest perfect snow of all time and i'm like eh, where's like my clister slush like yeah really? yeah yeah and so i guess i don't really have a answer to that but like i think it's just i really love a grind and yeah. <laughs> that's kind of all it is um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much fun I did have in the race at the Olympics. <laughs> that was like, that was a lot. Like, that yeah, was, yeah, it was definitely, yeah. it was very hard. And I think I've never, like, Alps or Mies is like, it's just like physically. Right. You're just grinding up a mountain. But like, yeah, the one in, in Beijing was just like, way, just so much going on. And, yeah. um, but it, like, obviously it was like very surreal and cool, but. I don't need to do a race in those types of conditions again. <laughs> that, that I can be confident to say. But but, but do, do you feel like you have that? Do you feel like you're maybe a bit of a bit tougher than most? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, maybe, but I think it's just like different in every situation. Cause like for me, if it's yeah. like a 20 K double pole race, I'm like, damn, those girls who are like ripping that, like, that to me is like super tough so it's like maybe like the weather toughness yeah but i think it's you can be tough in every in every type of way so yeah i don't know if i would say yes to that or not solomon has been an outdoor industry leader for nearly 75 years and they see action as the way to continue to lead in the modern world that requires solomon to lead in sustainability As a company facing all the modern challenges to the natural environment in which we all play, Solomon has a renewed passion to act as a catalyst, connecting the innovative power of the people of Solomon, partners, innovators, designers, and athletes to co-create the most responsibly performant products and businesses. Solomon is committed to transform people into agents of positive change, knowing when we help preserve the outdoor spaces that touch your soul, you can feel good about the products you use in the outdoors. You can find out more about Solomon's full lines of outdoor gear, clothing, and accessories, and discover their commitment to sustainability at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. As we've discussed on Threshold, it takes an entire ecosystem of support to grow and cultivate endurance sports in American culture. But as media evolves, it's never been more possible to fill your cup with rich content about the sports you love. And that's kind of where we come in. 
It's our goal to stoke that growth with meaningful conversations and insights with folks with diverse experiences and expertise, like Dr. Steven Seiler or Courtney Del Walter and Olympic star Jesse Diggins. But to do it, we need your support. So we've created a Patreon that's linked in the description of this episode. By joining, you'll have access to ad-free episodes, our full archive of conversations, and even some sweet merch. So please join us on Patreon. Well, well, I mean, I, so I'm going to transition a little bit to your trail running now. I mean, you've mm-hmm. emerged, you've emerged into like the elite level trail running, like kind of almost more spectacularly than you did in <laughs> elite level crossing skiing, and specifically mountain running and particularly uphill running, mm-hmm. which is not particularly fun. No, <laughs> which is kind of why I use that that segue from the Olympics into this one. Yeah. So I've tried to do a bit of sleuthing about your arrival in that into that world, and, and it's kind of an emerging world. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, I went ba- going back to like when I was your age and younger. Um, there were mountain races in Europe. They just weren't really well attended. They weren't yeah. huge sponsored events. But I, but I think it's important to highlight that you are in that what you are engaged in is not ultra running. First of all, it's not an ultra right. ultra trail running. This is these are not long slogs over tens of hours. Mm-hmm. The series you primarily run in is the Golden Trail series sponsored by Solomon, which is your sponsor as well. Yes. So before we get into Sophia Luckley in trail running, for the trail running novices or beginners or people who don't know what what the Golden Golden Trail series is, what it, what is that all about? Yeah, I mean, it was new to me last year, so um, it's kind of like for what they call short distance, which I still don't believe it's short distance because it right. takes me a while. But like, it's yeah, like trail running has I feel like for the longest time, like or like, and it still is like the big focus is the ultras and right, like hundred milers, whatever. Um, and so the Golden Trail is just like they range from like twenty to forty k, um, and which is like. Yeah, short distance. It's pretty long. <laughs> 20 to right. 40, 40K um, running is like, okay, that's 24 right. miles. It's a marathon. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, and it's cool. Like, they go all around the world. There's some in the U.S. and in Europe, and it's just, like, a series. Um, it's not, yeah, it's, I guess it's, you can't really equate it to, like, World Cup because it's, like, it's almost like a very spread out tour de ski kind of Um so there's like six or seven races um, throughout the year, and at the end there's like one final event. But yeah, it's just it's a really like it's a really fun and cool. Like I've done other trail races too, which are a lot of fun. But the Golden Trail is just it's really sweet that it's just like this like year long thing. Um, yeah. And like you're kind of working towards something at the end. Um, so yeah, it's fun. yeah, it's like a series, like a mini World Cup yeah, series. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the internet, my internet searches kind of give off the impression that it was a per, that your rise was pretty sudden and, and, and relatively fantastic. Um, <laughs> did your immediate success did your immediate success surprise you, or was trail running something you kind of had a sense that you'd be good at if you just gave it a little bit of your focus? No, I had like it was. I mean, one, it was exciting to me to have like I was like, oh no, I'm no longer I can no longer be like dark horse and skiing. But then like I started to do or like. For running, it was interesting because I knew that, like, I was pretty decent, but I was only running against, like, other skiers or, like, very niche races. Right. And so, like, I guess two years ago, I was doing a lot of, like, Cirque series and, like, I raced in Alaska a bit. Um, And so last year when I had, like, the opportunity to, like, race against all these international people, Mm -hmm. I was, like... I honestly had no idea like how like I was really Mm -hmm. hoping I could do well but like I was not as confident um going into my first race like I was it was definitely like a bit of a mystery to me um but I think also at the back of my mind I was like I think I could maybe like surprise some people and like that was really motivating to me because it is like it yeah it was kind of a repeat with the skiing like being yeah just kind of because like there I was on some radars going into that first race I did in Norway last year um, yeah but then like before the race they're like ah like just like I don't know they uh I just kind of got the impression that they weren't so sure and I was like well I'm gonna prove you wrong um, <laughs> and it was pretty it was really satisfying to do that <laughs> 
Well, you're not the first elite U.S. skier to find success in the crossover from skiing into trail running, particularly uphill running. Olympic mm-hmm. skier, Olympic skiers, uh, Morgan Aratola got pretty good at it and, mm-hmm. and, and still focused on it after her ski career. And Liz Steven has dabbled in it comparatively to you, but she's still had some success, at least at you know at a regional and national level. Mm-hmm. And and Liz also shares your ability up Alp Chermis. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a connection there, but... What is it to you about going uphill that works for you and feels and is so satisfying? I think it's just like the mind, like it's just like so easy to reach like your limit. Like you're just going mm-hmm. up and you just, you don't have to think about like pushing. You are just like moving and that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I just like really appreciate getting into like a really solid rhythm where I can kind of just like mine goes blank and I just grind. And I think like, I think about like a ski course that's like super transitiony and I like struggle a lot with that because it's just like constant, you're constantly like thinking about what you have to do next. And so I think like, yeah, running and like, cause I'm, there are worse people than me on the technical downhills of trail running, but I am by far not at the top <laughs> of it. And so like, it's, it's like similar to that where like, I love the grind on the up and then the down and everything is like when you kind of have to start thinking and like really like, yeah, be on your toes. And yeah, that's where I'm like, it's fun to be able to like improve on something. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah um, I think, yeah, I just, like I said earlier, I just, like, kind of, like, to, like, grind and... Put put your head down and go. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny to me because, like, when I was younger, like, I I just, like, didn't like to train. I would, like, go on... (laughs) I would go on fake runs and, like, only run if a car was passing me or... (laughs) And I would, like, make it to the woods and then I would just kind of, like, sit on a bench for a while and then I would, like, kind of stroll home. So now... Who were you you hiding from when you were doing that? Were you hiding from your coaches or your parents or who? No, I don't know. I was just, like... I (laughs) Like, I... And I believed that, like, I would, like, go out for an hour and a half and, like, maybe have run for, like, 15 minutes of it. (laughs) <laughs> and I would like, but I would genuinely believe that I went on an hour and a half run. I'd be like, yeah, nice. That was a good one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you can trick yourself into thinking some things too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I feel great going up this hill. I can, I can yeah, trick myself exactly. into it. That's cool. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a pretty solid trick. I mean, I, I think that, I yeah, think that, there's some, no. that probably helps us succeed. Okay, a couple it. questions, yeah. a, a couple questions about your, about the practicalities of making the switch from skier to to runner and back to ski mm-hmm. again. So, so first, what physical and train, what physical and training challenges does transitioning from the ski, the World Cup ski season, over to the trail running season, and likewise going back mm-hmm. late skiing in the fall? What What are some of the training approaches that you need to keep your eyes on to make both of those things work for you? Yeah, it's definitely something that I like probably haven't fully figured out um, because for me, like skiing is like I had my first like real trail running season last year, and it was definitely kind of like honeymoon phase like oh my god trail running is the best thing ever and (laughs) I want to like be the best but then like this past ski season I was like okay I really want to get like move up in the world cup I want to like really focus on skiing and so I my training is definitely like still gonna be like 95% focused on skiing and I'm not like I don't feel like I'm sacrificing okay a lot for running like I think I I personally like benefit from having like I'm able to train a lot of hours because I'm doing like a lot of roller skiing for that and right right and like I did the past like month and a half I've like been focusing on running um I had like a Solomon running camp and then yeah just like it's I'm not going to roller ski in April. So anyways, um, (laughs) I've just been running quite a bit and I'm realizing that like, I definitely like don't think I could be as successful if I, if I was only running to train. Yeah. And like, I was a bit, I wasn't sure of that because like last, especially at the end of last running season, I was like getting beat by like Nianke and some of these really like top girls. And I was like, 
I would be really curious to see like if I completely focused on running like if I would have any right. chance at beating these girls and I still like that's still in the back of my mind I'm like yeah it would be nice to take like two months or whatever and just like literally peak only for running and see if I yeah. can do it um but I'm not really ready to like botch my ski season f- to try that yeah. out <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a little, it's a little, yeah. it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a shaky thing considering where you are, which, yeah. which is, you know, I'm coaching, I coach college running. I've been doing that for seven mm-hmm. years after coaching ten years of skiing, and and one of the things that you know I have to be immediately aware of to try to like build volume in runners is is to make sure they're strong enough. Yeah, and and, and I, I mean, do you feel like you avoid injury more because you both uphill running more than than flat running and not running on hard roads, and you're also roller skiing a lot? Yeah, I think I mean I think trail running in general is just definitely right. healthier for the body. Just like it's not as much impact. Like right. you are running down in every race, but um, I do think a big thing of it is like roller skiing. Like if I'm yeah. if I've run too many days in a row and I my body's like falling apart, then I like go for one roller ski and it's like I'm totally good again. Yeah, um, yeah, which is like really nice to have that like For to sure. fall back on because I mean I think plenty of runners cross train, um, but like I some of them don't, and I think it's like it's a bit like you get an injury or something. It's like well now I don't really know what to do because I can't run. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, you, but you can. Yeah, but totally. I can. Yeah, like I have plenty of other things I can do. Keep training. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, a second part to that that question, not so much the physical thing. I, I don't need to have specifics here, but what are the two realms like economically for you, both skiing and, and running? As a, you know, as a ski expert, I know skiing isn't terribly lucrative. <laughs> no. Until <laughs> until you're really at the very peak of the sport, which you're not really at yet. I mean, you right. probably have so, you probably get some 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 support from I your get, ski company. Yeah, uh, yeah but, definitely. But it, but is trail? But it, let me let me just ask you: Is trail running a boost or a drain on your finances? Or does it have no effect at all on your financial efficacy training and, and getting by? It is certainly a boost. And it is like certainly, yeah. I'm, I can't really look to skiing for any financial, like, right. I would be really worried about having, trying to like make a living off of skiing. Right. Um, and like, I didn't know that until this past year that like running was just, I was like mind blown. And I, especially I was like still a college student. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so much money. And like in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not, but like, especially compared to skiing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It is definitely a very lucrative sport. Um, yeah. So I figured is, I just want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not complaining about that at all. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. So, um, the gold. I'm just going to kind of start wrapping up here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us. But uh, you know, I, I want to just uh, focus on the Gold Trail series just a little bit more. It happens in some pretty cool places, mm-hmm. and in pretty epic mountain settings. I mean, it's like you know, I'm looking at your. I looked at your. I, I follow you on, on Instagram, and okay. Yarmouth isn't exactly a lo- <laughs> uh, exactly a mountain town. Are, are you attracted <laughs> to the mountain lifestyle now that your your talent has delivered you to that kind of a setting, or are you more of a by the sea girl at heart? No, I think I I think I do like the mountains. Um yeah. I like I really tried to like surfing and like the ocean vibe, which I I do, but like I definitely am drawn more to the mountains, I think. Yeah. And I think that's like partially why I had a hard time getting into running when I was living in Maine cuz like yeah. we were just running on like golf courses and on like sidewalks um and yeah, I and like honestly like I did not spend a whole ton of time in mountains growing up, so I didn't know what I like was kind of missing out on. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think like it's it's uh, that's another part of running that has been like really cool is like th- it's skiing. Yes, we go to cool places, but some of the like it's like pretty mind blowing. Some of the places I get to yeah. go for running. Yeah, I've seen some of your pictures. They're pretty <laughs> yeah. awesome, especially some of the Solomon ones where somebody's catching you in a, in a really cool, yeah, cool spot. Exactly. That's yeah. really cool. So, yeah. what is your race? What is your race schedule like for the coming months? Both, you know, you're in Bend now. You're training for skiing, but mm-hmm. you know, where will you be sprinting up mountains this summer? Yeah, I'm gonna. So I'm actually like moving to Norway um, for because I, I mean, for ski training, but since I'm racing so much for running, um, in Europe, it's, it was just kind of like, this made sense. Um, so, but my first running race will be 
uh, the marathon in Chamonix or De Mont Blanc, um, which cool. is at the end of June. I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Yeah. And so this is like maybe the one time of year where I'm like, feel like I can maybe alter my training a bit more for running um, and, and get away with it because I think it'd be pretty sweet to do well there and like, or as well as I can. Um, and then, yeah, I have, there's a race in Italy, the Dolomites yeah, in July. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, you, your life sucks. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I know. I'm going to, awesome. I'm going to France and Italy and then nice. I go to Switzerland. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah, it does get worse. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then they do come, I'll do the two, uh, golden trail in the U S um, cool. which are Pikes Peak and in Mammoth. Um, yeah. Pikes Peak is, will be interesting. I had a, that was a suffer. Like that was one of those where I should have liked it and I hated it. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it was the altitude, like, do you think? Was it the altitude? It, I think it was the altitude and I'm like, yeah. Oh, I'm an altitude girl, but I had never been that high. And yeah. <laughs> it's a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, where in Norway, just, just really quickly before we wrap up, where in Norway will you be, will you be based? Do you have family over there that you're going to be staying with? I do, but I'll like be on my own. I'll be in Oslo. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. That sucks pretty, too. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I well, know. it's good thing you have the shoe contract because you got to live in Oslo now. Exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll be so, and, and have you spent a lot of time in Norway? Do you speak Norwegian? I do. So like yeah. I speak it with my dad. Um, I have like a lot of Norwegian teammates that I speak English with, but should speak Norwegian with, but um, okay. no. So yeah, I, I lived there for a couple years when I was quite a bit younger um but yeah it'll be uh it'll be because of that it'll be a nicer transition um yeah and what what are you uh looking into the next ski season what are you hoping to what are you hoping to accomplish next season i think like i'm i'm pretty excited about like the concept of just spending like a whole year on world mm -hmm. cup um yeah. results wise like it's it's definitely different there's no championship um but i mean I'm really excited for the ones in like Canada and the U S the world cups. And I think it would be really sweet to like peak for those. And oh, it would just be really fun to do well, like at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I guess I haven't thought too much about like specific results, but, um, cool. I don't know. I'll, I'll be back to the, uh, Alps or Mies for sure. That one's cool. uh, probably a, a mandatory race for me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, Sophia, Sophia, thanks so much for spending this time with us. It's really get, great to get to know you. I've never met you before, and, and it's been really nice talking to you, and, and wish you all the luck, and hopefully we'll run into you this winter. I mean, we got the World Cup in Minnesota. I was just down at the venue two days ago. It's oh, pretty cool. Oh, sweet. So I'm yeah. pretty psyched. So yeah, uh, no. we'll, we'll see you around, and we'll, we'll, uh, maybe we'll, we'll catch up face-to-face at, at, -face at some point here. For thanks. sure, yeah. Thanks for joining Thank us. Yeah, thanks so much. In the fall of 1991, I went on my first trip abroad with the U.S. biathlon team. As a bright-eyed 18-year-old junior athlete who was invited along with a senior team to Ruppolding, Germany, and the Dachstein Glacier in Austria. While we were in Ruppolding, our new head coach, who was a German, Walter Pickler, caught wind of the German National Mountain Running Championships being held about 15 kilometers away from where we were training. It started in a town at the base of the mountains near the Chiemsee Lake Basin and climbed up to the top of a peak called Hochfeld, where the race would end. I don't know if it was just a hunch or dumb luck, but Walter had some of the team do the race, and it went pretty well. Those of us who thought better of torching ourselves up a mountain we had no familiarity with hiked up Hochfeld that day and got situated near the top to cheer them on. A few of our teammates on the men's side were near the front of the race, but then, not terribly long afterwards, the top U.S. women biathlete at the time, who had scored a biathlon World Cup podium just a few kilometers away the winter earlier, looking half miserable, half delighted, Switching back and forth between light, bouncy steps up the mountain and deep, hand-to-knee-assisted, long, loping steps, got to the top of the mountain first, by a lot. She won. Since that first impression of a Nordic skier succeeding at something as brutally conceived as running straight up a mountain like Hochfeld, the concept certainly has crossover from at least a subset of Nordic skiers, who by hook or by crook found their way into skiing instead of running up mountains. The Mount Marathon in Seward, Alaska, despite being a perfect torture of an event, is pretty much a Nordic skiing institution and a cultural icon to the rugged sensibilities of Alaskan sporting culture in a place that perhaps values the combination of natural aerobic capacities and dogged determination more than anywhere else, certainly in the United States. 
The history of race winners of Mount Marathon is a who's who of Alaskan ski racing history, and even American ski racing history, exhibiting a compelling tie of the requirements of mountain racing with those of top-end Nordic ski races, or at least some of them. A couple of well-known guests of this podcast have their names on the women's winner's board. But it took the world's preeminent mountain runner, Francis Killian Journey, to break the Alaskan skiing hold of the event. When he came to Seward and he eclipsed the former national-level ski racer Eric Strabel's course record in 2015, and in the process cast the great mountain race of Alaska against the international mountain running backdrop. And while Journey broke Strabel's time by a minute and seven seconds, as significant as it was, it also suggested that Alaskan ski racing was perhaps hiding some of the best mountain runners in the world, or at least a culture of them, without even realizing it. Which proved highly probable, in short order, because the world-renowned Journey held the Mount Marathon record a grand total of one calendar year. In 2016, in a Hold My Beer performance, Alaskan Olympic cross-country skier David Norris shaved 22 seconds off a journey's time from 2015 and took the record back from supposedly the world's best mountain runner. It's a record that still stands. A fascination emerges from the feat of human being versus a mountain. The FIS Tour de Ski has been predicated on that fascination since its inception. That intersection of ski racing with mountain running, however, clearly predates Tour de Ski, whether it's an anecdote from Hulkfell in 1991 or the long list of cross-country skiers flogging themselves up and down Mountain Marathon very quickly. Sophia Lockley is the newest name and face of the specific skill set between the two oxygen transport testing feats of human ability. And she's a relative rookie at both, really. It's going to be exciting to see how she marries the two sports and where she takes them. Maybe we'll see her in Seward, Alaska on the 4th of July one of these years, towing the line of Mountain Marathon. We ski people can only hope. That's special for this episode. I'm Chad Salmola. Thanks for listening.